So I want to begin with a story that really captures what I want to speak to you about today. And it's quite comical, but also true. It's a story about a Jewish woman who goes to India on what seems to be a spiritual quest. And she travels this great distance to get to, to this ashram to be able to meet the head guru who has this reputation of being like uber spiritual. And she was told by the guru's attendant that he was a very busy man. He spent most of his day in meditation. And if this woman wanted to see the guru, she would have to herself prepare and spiritually and wait for three days. And then finally, when she would get to see the guru, she'd have to keep the session incredibly short. The rule was whatever question she would have would have to be kept to three words or less. Three days pass. The attendant brings the woman into the guru's chamber. She's all prepared. And the guru is sitting there. He's deep in meditation. She approaches the guru and she keeps to the three-word requirement. And the Jewish woman turns to the guru and she says to him, Sheldon, come home. What is the obsession? Do you get it? Do you get the joke? Do you know that the leadership of American Zen Buddhism is primarily Jewish? That's the joke. And the question I have is, what is our obsession with spirituality, but not necessarily with religion? And I'm asking that because we, in the last week's Parsha, we're speaking about the Chet HaEgel, the sin of the golden calf, which goes down in history as probably the worst thing the Jewish people did in terms of rebelling against God. And the question is, what really went wrong? How do we understand the sin? The Jews witnessed the splitting of the sea, the 10 plagues before that, they're, they're assembled at Sinai and they're given the Torah. Moses says, I'm going to stay up here. I'm going to go up for 40 days, 40 nights. The Jews, we usually have pretty good accountants. They miscalculate and they think he's not coming back and they freak out and they fashion this golden calf. What is going on? How, how, could, how do we understand how a nation, how a people, and so many of my students ask me this question, Rabbi, if I saw the splitting of the Red Sea, if I saw all those plagues and I stood at Sinai and received the Torah, I mean, why did they relapse so quickly into their past misdeeds of idol worship that they learned in Egypt? And Rashi, the great biblical commentator, explains very simply, he says that the desire for Avodah for idolatry was just so great. You and I, we can't appreciate the lust and the need that the, the ancient world had for idol worship. It's something that, that they were struggling with. So just because you take the Jew out of Egypt doesn't mean you can take the Egypt out of the Jew. And they were just still filled with that lust and with that connection to worshiping the physical. Now, it's funny because, you know, we all worship the physical in a different sense, but we don't really create idols and bow down to them. But that's Rashi's interpretation. However, many of the other rabbis disagree with Rashi. The Ramban, the great Nachmanides, Ibn Ezra, the Kuzari, who was the author of the great book, the Kuzari of Yudah HaLevi, they all taught that what the Jews were doing was not technically Avodah It was not technically idol worship. The Kuzari wrote that the Jewish people needed a place to focus their thoughts and their prayers on the one and only God. And therefore, they hoped Moses would bring down something tangible through which they could direct their hearts to the real and one and only God. And when Moses didn't come back, they just needed it so badly, so they created on its own. They created that on their own. But it's not like they believed that was a god. The Ibn Ezra writes that it was only a minority of the people, 3,000 of them actually, who believed that this golden calf that they had fashioned was actually a god. The rest of the people just used it as a means to connect with Hashem. 
And so according to these rabbis, what was their crime? What was so bad about creating something that would help you be more connected to your God? It's not worshiping some foreign deity. It's the one and only God, but they needed something. When Moshe wasn't there, they created something else. What's so bad? And it turns out that the sin may not have been idol worship, may not have been creating a new God, but actually a new religion. It was an unauthorized form of worship. Well, what's wrong with that? And I realized it a couple of years ago when Jill and I, we used to go for a couple of years to the Allman Brothers right here on the west side in the Beacon Theater. Allman Brothers, still an amazing band, still around from the 60s. They keep bringing in new young guitarists, but they're just great. And I remember being at an Allman Brothers concert and listening to the guitar. The guitarist just go off like on a riff. Like he was just so good. And there was these psychedelic images like on the screen in the front and people, you know, were smoking. People were getting high. And I looked around and I realized that this was more than just listening to rock and roll. I just liked the music. But there was like, people were really trying to connect spiritually. And I thought to myself, what's the difference between what's happening right here at the Allman Brothers concert and what happens right here at MGE on Shabbat morning when we open up a prayer book, a Siddur and we daven? Why is one an authentic spiritual experience? And one is a great rock and roll with some, you know, some uh, controlled substances and some psychedelic, in, uh, you know, images. And the answer is, because we may have the ability to know what makes us feel more connected, but do we have the ability to really know what actually is connecting us spiritually? The Ullman brothers may make us feel more spiritually connected, but the experience that we have in shul, davening, in synagogue, we believe actually is connecting us because the words in that prayer book, some of them are from God, they're quotes from the Torah, but even the ones that were written by the sages and the rabbis. These were prophets who spoke with God. These were sages who were more connected to God and therefore gave us words from the holy language of Hebrew to use to be connected with Hashem. What does the mitzvah mean? A mitzvah technically means a commandment, but a mitzvah implies two things. A mitzvah, a commander, and a mitzvah, a commandee. But it's also something that binds us with God because we believe it's from God not something we made up that we think can maybe connect us with Hashem. The only thing we can do is feel. But if we actually follow what is being connected, what's connecting us to God, coming from God, then we can know to the best of our human abilities that what we're doing, the mitzvah that we're engaged in, the ritual that we are observing is actually having that impact and that connection. And just because we're not feeling it, doesn't necessarily mean we're not having it. And just because we are feeling it, maybe at the Allman Brothers concert, doesn't mean that we're necessarily connecting with God either. It could mean we're having a great moment, and it could mean maybe that's something that can help us bring us to that place. But the only thing that we can know for certain, to whatever degree humanly possible, is actually connecting our souls to our divine source, is by following something we believe comes from Hashem Himself. So take Shabbat. Shabbat makes a lot of sense. And yes, of course, it feels good when we observe it. But ultimately, we keep Shabbat because we believe, since it's found in the Torah, an expression of the Almighty, it's connecting us, even when we're not feeling it. 
even when we have that occasional eh Shabbos, that occasional eh prayer service, the words, the rituals, the mitzvot have a power of their own. And therefore, even if we don't feel it, and inevitably we won't at times, doesn't necessarily mean we're not connected. And that's the beauty, my friends, of following a system which one believes is divine in nature. It doesn't depend on how you're feeling. It has validity whether you're feeling it or not. Now, of course, we should try to feel. Right? Kavanah, focus, concentration is incredibly important. The Balatanya wrote, Shner Zalman of Liadi, said that praying without kavanah, without focus, concentration, and getting into the emotion and the feeling is like a bird without wings. The bird still has vitality. It's still a bird. It's still alive, but it can't soar. So, of course, it's a tremendous value. But when our faith is based only on our feelings, then you got to really ask yourself, who are you really serving? Sociologist, a sociologist published a story about a woman named Sheila Larson. And Sheila Larson describes her faith as Sheilaism. Because although Sheila says she believes in God, she simply listens to her own little voice in terms of what to do to be connected to God. My faith, she says, has carried me a long way. It's Sheilaism, she was quoted as saying. And one of my rabbis, when he shared this article with me, he said, you know, it's too bad her name isn't Judy. Ha <laughs> ha. Um, but just imagine if we could really have it all, which is to follow the dictates of the Torah that give us this objective knowledge of something which is out there that we can tap into to be connected, and also, of course, having the feeling. But in my mind, it really just boils down to good old-fashioned humility. Because do we really have such insight into our own souls, into our spiritual selves, to truly know what is connecting us with God and what isn't? Do we have such confidence based on what we may be feeling at a given time? We feel all sorts of things. We could become moody and feel something. We could become, I don't know, we're just influenced by so many things that go on. Our feelings are not always the best gauge of the reality. And that's why we do need a certain kind of humility in terms of what's truly connecting us with our Creator and what is not. And I'm not sure we can really know this ourselves. And that's why the Torah and the mitzvot are such an indispensable part of our lives to inform us as to what behaviors will draw us closer to Hashem and which will, God forbid, do just the opposite. That was the chet ego. That was the sin of the golden calf. Our ancestors made the mistake of believing that they themselves could know from their own feelings what was truly religious and what was not. That too, if you think about it, is a form of idol worship since it's ultimately worshiping our own sense of what we feel is truly connecting us or not. We should value and cherish our feelings. We should validate our emotions, but never for a moment imagine that they alone determine our relationship with God or with our fellow human being. And that's my blessing to you and to us. And I speak to myself as I speak to you, that we should strive always to find meaning and purpose and feeling in everything that we do. That's a huge zuchot to be able to have that, a great merit. But at the same time, to know that even if we don't feel that emotion, we're still fulfilling God's word. And in doing so, truly being spiritual. Thank you for listening.